sermon is designed to help you take your next step with Jesus. And if you haven't been able to make it to one of our campuses and participate in the time of giving, you could do so online through our website or by texting to give so that you can continue to participate in the mission that God has given us. We hope that God speaks to you through this sermon. Happy Mother's Day to all of the moms. Uh, Happy Mother's Day to my mom watching in Lakeland, Florida there with dad. I didn't wear a tie today, mom. I'm sorry. Uh, You get that once a year. So take it down a notch. Lower the bar. I'm your only son, so you're stuck with that. Uh, So fear of intimacy. Yeah, yeah. When I accepted the challenge to teach on this particular fear, I'm not sure I understood what I'd be talking about. Uh, But then as I prepared, I came to realize that the fear that we would be addressing is a fear that I'm actually very well acquainted with. Uh, It's the fear that someone that I will want to know better will get to know me, and in that process, they will see me for who I am, including my flaws, and then they will pull away because they didn't like what they saw. This is vulnerability at its absolute worst because we all have these parts of us that cause us to wonder that if we let others in, uh, we will not be found worthy of their respect um, or their love. So if not properly addressed, this one fear will keep me keeping you at arm's length, uh, keeping me relationally isolated throughout my entire life. Oh, you may have many acquaintances, but very few people that you've allowed to fully know you because you play those cards very close uh, as a defense mechanism, uh, attempting to control perception because deep down you also believe that there are some not so attractive things about you that make you uh, much less likable. But here's the problem with that. We need to connect. We were created to have close relationships. So if we don't come to terms with our own imperfections, uh, that need is gonna be left unmet because of the shame we feel about our negative attributes which attempt, cause us to attempt to manage uh, perceptions. Even though for true and satisfying intimacy to develop, we would have had to allow ourselves to really be known and, and also evaluated for who we are. Human connection is a very strong need, but rejection is a very strong deterrent, um, and we all have things about ourselves that cause us even to reject ourselves at times. Um, and so the, the fear arises when we think if these same flaws would cause someone else to struggle to love or uh, respect us. 
So of all the fears we face, this one is the most complex, this fear of intimacy, vulnerability, the fear of exposure. You actually could have this fear and not admit it. You might not even know it. Uh, you could just be that person who's constantly working to manage everyone else's perception of you, kind of keeping that image up. Uh, and in, it, what's interesting is, as you try to impress people, you're actually sabotaging uh, what could be great personal relationships by refusing to be known, warts and all, really known. Um, you know, you'll see these people, uh, you may be this person where you, you're, you date and you can never quite find the right person. And you think the focus is on them, but sometimes one of the reasons you can't find the right person is because you don't want, you get to this place of, okay, we need to take the relationship to the next level, uh, which doesn't necessarily mean marriage. It may just mean opening up completely to each other uh, relationally, and you just you're like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, I I don't want to risk showing you the parts that I don't even care for, uh, and I'm assuming you won't um, either. Or maybe it's because you did do that. Uh, you did open up to someone, and you did trust someone, and you let them in, and then they, uh, they didn't like what they saw, and they unfriended you, you know, <laughs> literally, uh, uh, and they even weaponized what they knew about you. They either used it to tease you, or they, used, they talked about you behind your back, or in one way or another, they stomped all over you, and you decided that you're not going to let that happen Again, because it just hurts uh, too much. Now, no one is perfect, uh, and uh, yet many of us are perfectionists. And perfectionists inside of us can be brutal. How many of you have been told you're a perfectionist or you believe that about yourself? Yeah. And so you know what I'm talking about where you, don't, you rarely give yourself grace. You know, other people cut themselves slack all the time, and you, but you don't. Uh, you might even give everyone else a lot of mercy, but for yourself, you're constantly berating yourself. That voice inside is persistent. Those personality traits, those physical flaws, whatever it is, those are completely unacceptable, and you've got to keep working on them until you make your weaknesses, your strength. Uh, the perfectionist just rarely forgives themselves for just being human. You know, they, they, they often feel like they already lost before they even begin, yet still they try to perfect themselves and rarely feeling completely satisfied. Um, there's a phrase, perfect is the enemy of the good. And for today's talk, we'll say, perfect is the enemy of intimacy. So today we're all confronting the perfectionistic demon that haunts us, deciding to do something. We are going to value honesty over perfection. Value honesty over perfection. So what we're going to do is we're going to honestly confess weakness and leave it there, knowing that that weakness might stay with us. And even though we work on it, it pr probably won't ever become a strength. Uh, and we, we, we admit honesty, uh, we admit weakness honestly for a good reason. It's so that Christ can be shown strong in us, because with God's help, you could decide to let him touch your weakness in a way that it actually does improve uh, and, and, and 
the more honest you get, you actually will become a person that people want to be around because that vulnerability is what attracts them to you. Not because you're perfect, but because you're real. All right, so I struggled with this quite a bit as a younger pastor. I tried for years to live up to what I thought was people's expectation. Um, and there really were impossible goals. Uh, so consequently, I would come home on Sunday exhausted from this role play that I learned to call Pastor Guy, uh, who really wasn't me. Uh, it was kind of like the best version of who I wish I was and I never will be. Um, and uh, just unreachable. Uh, when I started in a ministry, it, it just, I was sabotaged from the very first week because the guy I replaced, uh, the former youth pastor, was an absolute legend as a youth pastor. And I was not going to live up to who uh, he was. Uh, and it was obvious to me. I, I could tell that the students were kind of disappointed. The parents were disappointed. Attendance went down. And the attendance would spike. And at first I thought, oh, you know, we, we turned the corner. And then he would show up at church visiting. And I would find out that all of them knew he was coming. And I'd be like, hi, great to have you back again. Why don't you have somewhere to be? Um, And so all of this really did a number on me. Instead of developing the parts of me that were actually qualified for this job, all I could see was that I wasn't him. So for the first year, maybe two, those inner demons won a lot of those battles until I could begin to see the battle for what it was, a fight to discover my gifting, a fight to stop giving people power over me, um, and to just accept the fact that some people aren't going to like you and some people are. Now, I won that battle and I, I ended up, I think, doing a pretty good job in that role for about 10 years. Uh, we saw thousands of students and their parents through uh, the adolescent years. But I would have failed if I had let the fear of being who I really am overcome me. Um, the fear of, uh, of hiding those things about me that I didn't feel like that they felt like were enough. And you know, most of us do that. We, attempt to, we do attempt to hide anything unattractive about ourselves and try to present someone better to the world. And that's, that's, that's not bad. It's, uh, it's only unhealthy when it becomes unhealthy. And it becomes unhealthy when that quest has us constantly hiding from anyone to see the real us. The real us. Now, in our generation, social media plays into this a lot with this ability to create a false front approach. Uh, without social media, we'd be forced to get to know a person kind of the old-fashioned way, face-to-face -face, uh, from the very start. And spending time with them, their strengths and weaknesses would kind of come out more naturally, uh, and, uh, and ours would as well, in the interaction. But social media gives us a non-interaction interaction where we can evaluate someone without ever even having a conversation with them and uh, you know, decide if they're friend-worthy before we ever hang out with them. Uh, and we all know this, that people are evaluating us like that, so most of us do try to put on you know, our best face. You know, when, is it up here? Is it, you know, and, uh, <clears throat> but that's an incomplete image. I mean, that's not the real us. That's the us that we're trying to where we pose and we take lots of snaps and then we go through and the best one, that's the one we post, we delete the rest of them. You know what I'm talking about. 
Do you know this one though? Have you ever had someone post an unflattering picture of you? That is so annoying. How dare they? You know, you're at a party or whatever, and you're just totally relaxed, and someone's snapping pictures, even videos, and you know that when you really laugh, you snort and laugh like a horse, but you know, but then when that shows up on Instagram, and then people start commenting, who's that in the background laughing like a horse? You know, and you're like, me, you know? That's not fun. I've never met anyone who likes everything about themselves but their appearance, their voice, their personality, their hair, their sense of style, their family, the list goes on. If I ask you to list five things you like about yourself and 10 things you don't like about yourself, which list would be easier to complete? Right. Most of us feel like we're not enough of something, not skinny enough, not rich enough. We don't have enough hair anymore. We don't, uh, we're not something. And uh, so sometimes those feelings pile up on us and leave us feeling unworthy. Asking ourselves, and it's usually subconscious, but you know, why would anyone want to spend time with me? Why would anyone want to date me? Um, and that is why some people, you, you know, you'll say, why is she dating him? And you know, you don't want to be mean about the guy, but really, she could probably do better. But see, she doesn't believe she can. And she doesn't want to risk rejection. Uh, and when we do that, we really limit who we can know. And uh, uh, Now, uh, this, is, this, uh, this fear of intimacy has plagued human beings since the Garden of Eden. Uh, not before the fall, but right after. Before sin entered in, men and women were walking in complete vulnerability with each other and with God. They were very comfortable with being emotionally and even physically exposed um, at this level of complete intimacy. But then sin entered in, and along with that, shame. And so now they're ashamed of themselves, and that shame caused them immediately to feel too exposed in every way. And you notice this. They hide, even though nothing's really changed except that they've sinned. But that sin, shame causes them to even feel embarrassed that they don't have clothing on. For the first time now, they have something to hide, so they try to hide everything. They hide from God, they blame each other, driving a wedge between them, and this is the moment when sin shattered intimacy. And we still deal with these barriers today. Shame enters the human condition, constantly accusing us, I know what you did, you'll do it again, you're bad. You're a bad person. You should be ashamed of yourself. Uh, where guilt says, you made a mistake, Shame says, you are a mistake. Now let's just be very clear, folks. This is a lie. You made a mistake. That doesn't make you a mistake. You, you did fail back there, but that doesn't make you a, a failure. Uh, uh, failure should be considered a verb in our life, not a noun. And, uh, uh, and that's why we came to church today, to remind ourselves of how much God loves us and how much we do love each other. And in this case, we also came to identify the power that shame has over us in regard to our relationships and then allow Jesus to break that bondage because shame is a demon that Jesus drives out. This is a beautiful thing because a lot of times in church we talk about Jesus forgiving us of our sin and we, and we, we talk about the guilt of that sin, which is great. 
But honestly, it's the shame that sticks with us of stuff that we did. And the shame becomes not only that's what you did, but that's who you are. So just get over yourself and stop trying to think that you'll ever be anything that you or God could be proud of. And that is a lie. That's accusation coming from the pit of hell because uh, of the power of confession. Uh, An emotionally healthy person confesses openly and freely not only their sin, but their their flaws. And they can joke about them. They can just say, yeah, that's, that's me. I'm working on that. But you can tell that they have forgiven themselves. It's like as they have prayed, forgive us our trespasses, they've also said that to themselves. Hey, Steve, forgive yourself your trespasses. That will make it easier for you to forgive others, uh, theirs, as you confess those things to God. And that's our religion. Our religion is a confessing religion. And that's the opposite of Adam and Eve's response because they hid. And then when it came time to confess, they blamed the other one. Uh, Jesus reverses that. He calls us out from hiding, and then he just takes the blame before we have the chance to blame our parents or blame circumstances or whatever. Um, we, just, we, we learn to be very open and transparent when God calls out our sin. All right, so when we look at the Old Testament, there are very few Old Testament figures who actually got to this place with God. But there's one guy who did, David. David... Uh, is a guy who sinned greatly. But then when the prophet called him out on the thing, David immediately owned it, admitting to himself first and to the prophet and to God what he had done. Then David takes it further. He takes pen to paper and he writes down his full confession and makes sure that it's left for us to read 3,000 years later. The only reason we know about David's terrible sin is that he wrote it down. And the only reason we know how to really confess to God is that David taught us how to do that. You guys remember, David was the most powerful man in Israel in this day. He could have buried this story easily and we would have never known it. But he wanted us to read Psalm 51, his confession, have mercy on me, O God. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin, for I recognize My rebellion, it haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I've done what's evil in your sight. Look at how comprehensive this confession is. This is not, I'm sorry if you're mad at me. This is, I'm sorry because I blew it big time. It was evil. I'm a sinner and you desired honesty from me. David is our role model here of transparency before God. And it's this very honesty that causes God to say, I love this guy. This guy is after my heart. He doesn't try to hide anything from me. So confession is good for our relationship with God, but confession is also just really therapeutic. To to just admit our shortcomings to ourselves and to the Lord, it's like it gives them a name. And when you give something a name, you take away its power over you. Before you confess sin, sin still holds you. But once you confess it and you get it out there, you are taking authority over that and saying, yes, this is absolutely true. Guilty is charged. And then you put it out there and you let Jesus come through and scoop it away. That's what Christians do. That's why we don't just confess our sins once. We confess our sins constantly. And we say, God, we need to talk again. And you know what I did. Uh, And here it is. Here's exactly 
uh, what I did. And it's that brutal inventory that we are constantly taking uh, that keeps us clear from the infection that could, could set in if that sin is allowed to fester inside of it with its guilt and its shame. Once we confess, we can be cleared up. Our relationship with God can be cleared up. So over time, we begin to get very comfortable with this honest relationship with God where we realize we're never going to be a perfect Christian. We are, we're trying, we're doing our best by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're gonna try to not make those same mistakes again. We're gonna make new mistakes. But those things are also covered by the sacrifice that Jesus made. And our transparency is what encourages uh, habits of vulnerability before God. And what happens is transparency with God encourages my transparency with you. And this is what we're talking about today, that if we can be honest with ourselves about ourselves and then honest with God, uh, we're more likely to risk being honest with each other. And honesty with, honesty with God is an easier step for me than honesty with you. For the simple reason that God already knows what I did. God already knows who I am. And if I'm good at it, I can hide who I am from you for a while or even for a long time. But I can't hide anything from God. So when I confess it to him, I'm just agreeing with him uh, uh, that. Uh, but, then, but then what happens is that makes it easier for me because I develop these habits uh, to risk that you might uh, reject me. When God doesn't reject me and I don't reject myself, then I'm more likely to risk it. And, because honestly, if you reject me, I'm going to be okay uh, Honestly, being rejected is one of the best things that can ever happen to a person. Now, some of you are hearing that and you're saying, oh yeah, right. You know, and I know because you're in the middle of something. You know, your divorce isn't even final yet and I'm telling you this was a good thing that happened to you. Or, or you, know, you're, you still haven't found another job after that old company that you gave heart and soul for kicked you to the curb. Yeah, you're not gonna hear this sermon and go, yippee, yahoo, I'm glad I was rejected. Uh, but I think six months from now, if you were to play this sermon again, you'd say, wow, it really was I have grown so much through this experience. Um, I'm, I'm glad it happened, or at least I'm glad I survived it because I learned that I don't need everyone else's approval. Even someone who once was very close to me, I, don't, I can survive without their approval. When you survive being unfriended by someone uh, who you completely opened up to and you survive that, then no longer do you try to convince everyone else to love you uh, because you no longer need everyone to love you. God loves you and you love yourself, so anyone else not loving you is survivable. And this is principle number three in the Fear Not series. In the first week, we leaned in on the phrase, God is with us. Uh, and if God's with us, nothing else mattered. In the second week, we leaned in on the phrase, God sees us, and if God sees us, we will be okay. This week, we're gonna talk about defeating fear by the realization that God loves us. And if God loves us, and we love ourselves, then someone not loving us is survivable. Uh, and the place we learn that God sees us, God loves us, uh, God is with us, is the Bible. So we must saturate our minds with the promises found in the Bible, especially if we've been allowing these old lies to play in our head for a long time. The voices that say, you're not good enough, you're bad, you're inadequate, you're not worthy of being loved, 
Uh, you, who would respect you if they knew who you were? We have to get into the promises found in Scripture and marinate our minds with God's truth. And what happens is our minds start to replace our tapes. But we have to do that intentionally. Uh, and so some of us would be very wise to Google uh, God's promises found in the Bible or something like that and get those promises on a three by five card or on our phone where it comes up on a regular basis and we look at that and we go, oh yeah, he will never leave me or forsake me. Oh yeah, he loves me with an everlasting love. Uh, and, and, and there's so many of these promises and this is what we, we, we must do to retrain our brains to think correctly about how God feels about us and how we could never escape his presence even. Or, and not escaping his presence is a good thing. You know, David celebrated that in Psalm 139. He says, Lord, you've examined my heart. You know everything about me, and I love that. You know my thoughts, you know everything I do, you know what I'm gonna say before I say it, and still you bless me. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. I could ask the darkness to hide me, but I can't hide from you. How precious this thought is to me, God. How precious are your thoughts about me? So I invite you to search me and know my heart. The more we ponder uh, that God knows us, everything about us, and still loves us, that strengthens us. And we become more confident in ourselves and more confident in all of our relationships. Um, as we are known by him, his mercy floods those dark places in our soul that cause us to reject ourselves and assume that other people are going to reject us as well. Now, with God not in there, without him there, shame still rules the day. But when we soak our minds in what God says about that, this disinfects that shame. Like if you had a, a, a Petri dish, the only thing that you would need in that Petri dish in order for shame to grow would be darkness and silence and judgment. And shame would just continue to grow. But if you let the light found in Scripture in and then you pour in the grace found in Scripture, shame begins to wither and die. And Christians are the people who let Jesus kill the shame in their life. We're the people who let the light of Scripture shine on us and we daily receive grace and even pour it on ourselves. We get the grace from the only one who has the authority to give grace. And that's God himself. And once we receive it, we can give it to ourselves. And of course, we talk uh, in other sermons about giving it to others. But today we're going to focus on pouring grace upon ourselves. Forgiving ourselves for the time we fail. So I want you to say a phrase with me. You ready? Think about yourself and say, I forgive you. Think about yourself and say, I forgive you. Hey, Steve, I forgive you. I'm just agreeing with God that you're forgiven. I'm not saying you didn't do it. I'm saying I forgive you. I'm not saying that you always live up and have every strength. I forgive you of your greatest weakness. You know what? Your strengths along with your weaknesses are what make you, you. And you say, well, I don't like that part of me. That's the part of you you're stuck with. 
You're stuck with you anyway, so why not learn to love you? Now, when I start thinking this way, something amazing starts to happen. Because honestly receiving forgiveness from God after I've been honest with him, and honestly giving forgiveness to myself after I've been honest with, with, with myself, that makes me want to risk honesty with you. Wondering if you would forgive me of my flaws if you really knew what they were. When I'm vulnerable with God, I have less fear of being vulnerable with you. Because if God knows me and loves me anyway, why do I care what you think about me? And that's a healthy thought for a lot of us. Last night after preaching, a, a, a woman came and you could tell she had been really touched by what the Holy Spirit was speaking to her heart. And she said, Steve, when you said the word shame, something I did years ago came up. And she said, if I said the word shame again, it would come up again. And she even said, she goes, there it is. And I thought she was going to tell me what it was. So here's what she said. She says, I want to sit down with my children and tell them. Because I want them to know. And she said, I realized I've been afraid all these years to tell my children. And I go, what do you think they'll do? She goes, are you kidding? They'll give me a hug. They'll say, Mom, that was a long time ago. We love you. And I go, well, I haven't done it. And she goes, I'm just so ashamed. And you could see that she was already being released of that and risking. And it's not even that much of a risk in her case. See, if we, if we really practice this honesty with God... Uh, we almost immediately start to become less fearful of the, those same flaws or mistakes being exposed uh, to others. And we discover something, that vulnerability is not weakness. Vulnerability is not weakness. Vulnerability is pure courage. To risk being honest is one of the bravest things that you'll ever do in a relationship. Now, what's beautiful is Jesus modeled this, and I love Jesus for this. Uh, he modeled transparency, vulnerability, even to the point of allowing himself to be completely rejected uh, and even killed. And Jesus gave us hope regarding any rejection we might face because Christians are in Christ. So if Jesus survived rejection, then we can too. And when we think about the sacrifice Jesus made as the world rejected him, Jesus didn't suffer for perfect people. As a matter of fact, earlier he had said, I can't help people who think they're perfect. Uh, and that was the problem with Christ's enemies. They thought they were spiritually, morally perfect. They would never admit their own weakness. And uh, with Christ followers, we admit our weaknesses freely because we have learned that that's the key to receiving his strength. What have we learned? When I am weak, then he is So the happiest believers are those who are quick to reveal their own shortcomings, knowing that it was our weaknesses, not our strengths, that took Christ to the cross. Christ paid for our character flaws on the cross. He paid for our bad choices on there. Anything that we would be ashamed of is paid for. And instead of judging us, God in Christ offers us complete forgiveness, mercy, and grace which freezes up to give ourselves grace, we start to believe that we really are worthy to be loved and respected. Now, after Jesus ascended to heaven, 
his first followers completely imitated him. Uh, Simon Peter wanted us to know how badly he failed Christ on that one night when Christ needed him the most. So Simon Peter made sure that that story got put into scripture. He didn't have to tell us that story. He could have said to the gospel writers, Peter was one of the most powerful men in the church. He could have said to the gospel writers, take that out. I don't want that in. That's too embarrassing. But instead, and not just Peter, James and John, they, they wanted that story in there where they tried to, they sent their mom to finagle special seating in heaven. How embarrassing, you know? Hey, Jesus, when we get to heaven, can we have better seating than all these guys? You know? And they said, put that in. Put that in there. People will love that. Uh, Martha wanted it in there, how she had her priorities wrong at first. Put that in there. Tell them how Mary had it right and I had it wrong. The first, and, you know, and, and then I think about the Apostle Paul, how, how, how willing he was to share freely about you know, his B.C. days when he arrested, beat, and even murdered Christians. And then even after he was a Christian, you know, there's incidents where Paul said, yeah, I blew it there. Like the time where um, he totally hurt a younger brother in Christ, John Mark rejected this kid out of hand. And, um, you know, and later, later Paul said, boy, be sure and write that one down, Luke. That's really important. Uh, and then when Paul writes his own books, they're full of his flaws. Second Corinthians 12, he says, I'm glad I have big flaws because God's power is perfected in my weakness. And I want God's power to be perfected. I don't care what you guys think about me. Uh, Paul learned not to mask his flaws uh, exposing them for everyone to see. I boast about my weaknesses, Paul says, so that Christ's power may reside in me. I take pleasure in my flaws because when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul, who could, could have suffered great shame for his mistakes, instead let Christ take it all away. And so Paul felt worthy of great relationships. Consequently, Paul had great relationships all over the world. And you can too. And it starts when Jesus convinces you that you're worthy to be known and loved and respected. You really are. In Christ, we develop a healthy sense of worthiness, a health, healthy sense of, of self. And we begin to believe that we are lovable. Uh, I come to find out the healthiest people on the planet are those who have decided that that, that God is the one who decides if we're worthy or not. No matter what anyone else says. And the healthiest people also say, wait, you know what makes me imperfect is what also makes me unique. And what makes me unique is what makes me beautiful. The things that are different about you are some of the most beautiful things about you. Talk yourself into that one. It'll take a while, but let God convince you that he made you how you are. And once you decide to stop trying to hide who you are and you let people in to really see it, you'll be surprised because nine out of 10 people are gonna absolutely love you. Not because you're perfect, but because you're reachable, you're vulnerable, you're real. And that's what people want in a friend. Someone who's real, someone who honestly presents themselves because if they think of you as an honest person about yourself, you're gonna be honest about them and they're gonna trust that. They're gonna admire you for not trying to hide your flaws. Uh, so I say, let yourself be seen for who you really are. Risk it without hiding it and then live with the consequences. 
find a healthy community and commit to that group for the long haul until everybody starts getting real with each other. And that's what happens with certain community groups. They, they start and everybody comes and then somebody gets real and then a person or two, you'll see them drop away because they were uncomfortable with how real that group got so quickly. But the healthiest cornerstone groups are where people are just real. And then whoever's left after everyone gets real, that's the group. Then stick with that group. A healthy community group is when somebody says, all right, guys, I'm just gonna open up. And everybody looks like, whoa, you haven't talked very much. And they open up. And then as they're opening up, people are going, yeah, yeah. And then somebody just says right there, man, I'm so glad you shared that. I totally relate to that. You know why? I struggle with that same thing. And then that interaction bonds the group. Even the ones who are not talking are sitting there saying, this is good. That we're, 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 we're not wasting our time with small talk. We're getting into real relationships where we can have each other's back. And also we're letting Christ clean out anything in us personally by this fellowship we're having with each other. Well, that's probably enough. Um, what do you think? Is that enough? I want to tell you a story. Uh, it's a short one. Uh, and for me, a short story lasts five minutes or so. Um, I, I never am that guy that says, make a long story short, because I don't know how to do that. But years ago, I was, uh, I was walking with a friend uh, clear across the world. We were in Mumbai, India, and uh, we, were, we were there meeting with, meeting with folks and trying to do some good. And um, uh, the day before we had, we, we were actually recovering on this day from the day before, because the day before we had been in the slums, actually the slum where they filmed Slumdog Millionaire. I've walked through that exact place and seen it. It's as terrible as it looks. And you cannot imagine that there's, you know, so many human beings living in there. And so you, you just, you, you end that day just like, uh, you just. So the next day was a lighter day. And we're walking through this really, actually really nice upscale uh, neighborhood. The, the rising middle class uh, in India were showing off that day. Pleasant streets, freshly painted houses, children playing. There was a guy barbecuing something over here. Uh, I remember noticing a BMW in the driveway of a house and just going, you know, this is, uh, this is the new India. But I'll tell you, as pleasant as this neighborhood could have been, there was this terrible, oppressive odor. Just a stench. And uh, I, I remember just looking around, going, where is that coming from? And just realizing there was a, huge, there was a barrier, a fence, that you couldn't really see through. There were slats. But, and so I went over just to see what's on the other side of that fence. And I looked, and sure enough, that's where the smell was coming from. There was this huge canal flowing right past with open sewage. And it was probably the most disgusting thing I've ever seen. And just going, oh, my word. And later, our, our, uh, our host told us that if you fell into that canal and were not immediately pulled out and taken to the hospital, you would die from what you would catch in that canal. And uh, so here we were in an otherwise desirable neighborhood where the same diseases that threatened those folks in the slum were threatened these folks that were in the rising middle class. But what could they do? Uh, they complained to the local authorities, uh, but the solution offered was not to clear out the sewage or put it in pipelines or do anything. The, 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 the solution was build a fence, just build a fence. And so the stench remained, uh, and it was a smell that everyone seemed to have uh, gotten used to. 
Um, hmm. So we've been talking for three weekends now about our deepest fears. I've come to believe that our fears are like that canal of sewer that flows through that city. Uh, no matter if you're living in the slum or you've got a BMW in the driveway, it's the same thing flowing right through your neighborhood. And it's incredibly unhealthy and it stinks, but the best anything in the world can do is just build a fence. Well, Jesus offers much more than that. Uh, he came to do more than just put up a barrier between us and things that are so toxic. He came to actually clean those things out of our neighborhood, of our families, of our zip code. Uh, and it starts with him cleaning it out inside of us. Uh, uh, he can do more than just help us get used to all the negative emotions that we feel. Jesus can actually confront our deepest fears and take us to a place of bravery and courage and to a place where those fears no longer stink in our lives. And uh, that's what he wants to do with you, not only through the teaching of this series, but through the power of the Holy Spirit as, as you confront your fears. Will God go with me into a hard situation? Yes. Does God see me right now? Yes. Um, and, 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 and can God... Does God truly accept me and love me enough for me to love and accept myself? Yes. Could that help me in my relationships? Absolutely. The closer you get to Christ, your weaknesses don't necessarily become your strengths, but the power of those weaknesses is taken away because Jesus is a bondage breaker. He casts out demons. And for some of us, the demon of shame has dominated us long enough. So I'm praying for you during this series that you will break through to fearless living. Are you with me? Would you like that? All right, let's pray about that. Father, I come to you now in the name of Jesus Christ, your powerful son, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. And Lord, right now we're talking about shame bowing before the throne and guilt bowing before the throne and self-rejection bowing before you. Lord, we pray that you take these things that, that, that take on a personality of our own and even speak to us, even in our, our dreams, and continue to put us down. Lord, we're not the religion of falsely pumping ourselves up with positive thinking. We're the religion of actual negative talk sometimes in our confession where we say, no, I am this. You know, I did this. But then you're the God. You don't just flip it. You completely take it away. So I pray for this congregation, this flock, that you would free them of shame as they openly admit to you who they are, what they've done, where they've been, what they're capable of, and as they admit that to you, that they would admit it to themselves and get it out there and give it a name so it doesn't have power over them. And then as they confess it, that you would forgive them and let your grace and mercy flow over them, that they would begin to love themselves, they would begin to respect themselves, and they would begin to believe that they are worthy of great and deep relationships and they would come out of hiding. They would quit blaming, well, I'm an introvert. 
They would keep blaming, well, I'm just too busy to be in a group, to be in relationship. Lord, these are smoke screens because we're afraid. Lord, you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, of self-control, and of a sound mind. So we pray that as you heal us of our past mistakes, and you comfort us about our weaknesses and show us that even some of those weaknesses are what make us beautiful, that we would become more vulnerable with each other and we would risk even being rejected in order to get to the other side and find deep and lasting relationships with each other. And we say all these things in Christ's name and everybody agree by saying, Amen. Amen. You got this.